0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed Play Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. If you suspect your child has a behavioural issue, perhaps they have problems sitting still or they may be more aggressive than other kids, where would you go? Go. I would probably take them to a GP and get a referral from there, maybe to a psychologist or an occupational therapist. I wouldn't have thought a speech pathologist could help, but that's exactly the kind of work that Olwen Forker does. Olwen is the clinical director at Backchat Speech Pathology. Hi, Olwen. How are you?
1: Hi, Siobhan. I'm well.
0: What kinds of behavioral challenges do you help children with?
1: Probably uh, one of the most common referrals into our clinic here at BatChat it's probably for difficulties with literacy, difficulties with learning, Siobhan. So children often come in from the GP, they might come in from a psychologist, the paediatrician may refer them to our clinic specifically because the child is just, they're just struggling at school and it's never just that they're struggling with learning. These little ones are always struggling with other types of, you know, other types of issues. And you perfectly described little ones with impulse control, children who are struggling to regulate, children struggling to concentrate, and in particular boys struggling with activity levels in the classroom setting. We tend to like to get them in really, really early. Because, of course, of the brain plasticity, the earlier you get them in, the earlier you start to work with them, the earlier you train the parents what to do to help improve your child's engagement.
0: And who normally refers them to you? So who will the parents, let's say you have a child at school who is struggling to learn, struggling to perhaps get along with other children, who do parents generally take them to in order to get a referral to a speech pathologist?
1: can self-refer to speech pathologists so parents commonly will call and say look we've heard about you word of mouth you've worked with my friend's child or my son's teacher so we are actually a point of self-referral so parents can actually contact regarding their child certainly GPs are a big referral point as well and pediatricians as well will commonly refer to children
0: to us. Why do they refer them to you in particular? As I mentioned in the introduction, um, with those sorts of things like behavioural challenges, I would have thought they'd refer you to either a psychologist or maybe an OT. What is it about speech pathology that can help in these situations?
1: I think one of the biggest reasons we always get referred uh, to speech pathologists is I guess because we are really working from that early years perspective. So we see, as an example, a lot of boys who are struggling with literacy, but, but mainly it's not literacy, it's actually that sustained attention and that persistence and that ability to regulate. So part of our role as speech pathologists, as many people know, is play-based learning. But what we do here at Black I guess on top of that, is we really push as well as building the children's underlying like their memory for the memory for reading and for the phonics and for the words and the sight words, everything involved in reading we also work really hard and getting children to persist with the task because let's face it boys could for the most part prefer to I know my kids we prefer to be in the park riding the scooter the skateboard their bikes or, you know, doing a physical activity. So what we do is we incorporate really big routines within the home. So we get children doing really extended, prolonged, fun and learning-based tasks. So as an example, a little guy who I've worked with probably for five sessions, he came in on referral from mum, there were big issues surrounding attention and sustained attention and persistence in the classroom. His language was suffering as well because he wasn't able to retrieve and get language as well because he was struggling with attention. So the teacher would ask him a question and he would be looking elsewhere. And it wasn't that he didn't have the language, it was just that his concentration was, you know, elsewhere. So over the last five sessions, I've trained mum and modelled for mum how to build and how to help this little guy persist with learning-based tasks. So we started really, really small. He was a five-year-old boy, so we started really, really small, just playing a little working memory-based card game from actually one of my new books I've got coming out. And then what we did was we extended into another game. And then we kept building and we kept extending the time that he was concentrating for. And what we've found, five sessions down the track, and mum is following up daily within the home. But for the five-year-old, what we've noticed is that his persistence, his ability to use language, his ability to retrieve language, his ability to, like that working memory, which is the ability to have language and just be able to use it in a really functional context, has really improved. And we also use a lot of sensory breaks in our clinic. So we have our littleies running and we have our littleies jumping and we have our littleies planking and doing all kinds of little sensory breaks because, of course, all the research shows us that children who get regular sensory breaks, they're going to remember what they are doing, but they're also going to concentrate for longer. So by implementing a really structured, I guess it's a little structured hierarchy of fun and learning-based tasks. Like on the uh, on the weekend when I saw him, we played, you know, when we played pick-up sticks and then we played a working memory game and then we played a college game. So it's intensive, but initially when I saw that little guy for a session ago, he couldn't even focus through one game. So we've built his ability to persist and to sustain attention with the learning-based task using lots of exercise to help them concentrate and that's had a
0: really positive impact. It's so interesting. I would have always assumed that speech pathology was just about speaking, but it sounds almost as if there's a bit of occupational therapy going on there. Would you say there is some crossover in terms of what you do to help a child with their speech um, and what occupational therapists might do to try and help children overcome some challenges?
1: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of crossovers, certainly, between occupational therapists in the early intervention space and speech pathologists, depending on the area that you do work in. There definitely is a lot more crossovers.
0: Do you work with other specialists? So if a child had a particular challenge, let's say they're on the spectrum and perhaps they've got a few things going on there, we all know that the spectrum is very different for many different children Do you work in conjunction with other specialists or are you normally a standalone service?
1: No, we work really closely with lots of other professionals, with little ones that we work with. So we work with some really complex kitties with ASD and some really complex kitties with ADHD. You know, kitties who can be very oppositional, very argumentative, very defiant, extremely violent, some kitties are. You know, they have such a neurochemical deficit in their brain, that they're really struggling to control themselves. So I see a lot of those little ones as clinical director. That's my specialty. Um, I do work as well with lots of little ones in foster care, and I do liaise quite closely with psychologists, neuropsychologists, occupational therapists, and, of course, psychiatrists and paediatricians, because quite often when these children have to learn new information which happens in a speech pathology clinic you know we're teaching them language and literacy we're teaching them big words they have to remember information they have to store information so if they're not able to then we need to be giving that feedback to their treating specialist because a lot of the medications that treat the neurochemical deficits in these little ones are meant to address those issues with memory, those issues with attention, those issues with behaviour. So, I mean, I've had little ones come in here who are taking a medication and they've been referred specifically to me at my clinic. They've been suspended six times at school. They're in CREP. They're extremely rigid, extremely oppositional, extremely defiant. The school can't go. Parents are about to break down. And sometimes our role is to liaise with absolutely everyone to see that this child's function in terms of their learning is like. And, you know, sometimes these kids are in a room by themselves up near the principal's office because they just can't be in the school setting. And that's where we go, OK, so what's happening? And sometimes our role is a go-between to get a really great nuts and bolts report out to go, well, this child is actually absolutely brilliant. He has a fantastic memory. He can count to 5,000 with his eyes closed, standing on his head. He's struggling with self-control. He's on this. This doesn't seem to be working. Can we get a re-evaluation? So sometimes that's our role because we are looking at a child's functioning school. We're looking at how they learn, how they learn literacy, how they acquire language, they're testing those underlying foundational skills for learning. You know, it's really tough job. Little ones who have those really at that very high end of the spectrum where they're really complex and really tough, it's really difficult on the family. It's, it's heartbreaking to see some of the families who come in and the difficulties that they're experiencing, not just behaviour, but where the child is just not functioning in their learning environment.
0: So is that um, key to parents understanding whether they might need assistance from a speech pathologist is in the learning environment, whether it's at early learning in a daycare centre or what are the red flags for parents where they can say, actually, this looks like something a speech pathologist could help with? Yeah,
1: okay, that's a really good question. So I think probably one of the biggest ones would be big red flag is You know, they get into PrEP, they get into that first year of school and your child is struggling. That is a big red flag And struggling in terms of either memory, which would be learning and reading, that acquisition of reading, which is probably one of the biggest focuses in PrEP in that early years. Children who struggle to, you know, read a number chart even after they've done it every single day in school children who struggle to even remember the sounds that the alphabet letters make children that struggle to remember the the names of the letters that's a big red flag it's tricky prep is tricky because children you know some children go into prep and they've been at home the whole time and then they've been to kindy most children have spent a lot of time away from home nowadays during those early years so prep can be a little bit like oh I've been playing out in my playground in my childcare centre for the last three years and now I have to sit down and listen to stories and talk about Daisy the cat and think about other words for what stringy means. And, you know, it's a very big jump for a lot of children and in particular our boys. So it's really tricky. Generally we say by grade one, if your little one is really having persistent difficulties Anything that is impacting on a child's ability to make a positive life choice, the correct decision, which starts when you're really little, in a persistent form, would be a red flag.
0: Owen, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Siobhan. That's Olwen Forker. She's a clinical director at Backchat Speech Pathology. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt.